Welcome to Dreams and Bones, the podcast designed to help us all learn more about practicing the art of creative living. My name is Paul Roberts. And I'm his wife, Carol. And we are the creators of Grow Me a Story. Our website dedicated to the idea that everyone is creative. And inch by inch, row by row, we want to help you grow the creative dreams and bones in your life through conversation with other creatives. As your creativity cultivators, Carol and I are excited to bring you our ninth guest here in 2022 to talk with us about the deep joy and meaning that comes from practicing the art of creative living. For the month of September, we sat down for some wonderful conversation with our good friend, Carrie Stewart-Parks. Carrie is an accomplished author, speaker, fine artist, and forensic artist. And today she'll bring some fun and fascinating tales of her life growing up right here in the Silver Valley. Here is episode one of our Dreams and Bones interview with Carrie Stewart Parks. Well, hello. We are excited today on our Dreams and Bones podcast to have our wonderful friend Carrie Stewart Parks with us. Carrie is multi-talented and multi-creative in many ways, and we will get to all those different ways as we are talking today. And we've had the pleasure of working with her in different projects. And um, so welcome. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I mean, I told my husband this morning, I said, okay, remember the things I'm doing. Really? You're doing that too? (laughs) I don't, men, you only give them one thing at a time because they... They, they don't multitask yes. well. <laughs> so keep them focused. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll get right into the first question. Looking back at your childhood, elementary school, middle school age, are there things you can point to that shaped the creative person that you are today? Yeah, I'm, that was the question I was thinking about, actually, because I you, had, you sent the questions early. And I grew up, of course, on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 685 acres wow. that my grandparents got my granddad bought for two dollars an acre Mm. (laughs) kind of thing and then passed it on to mom and uh, my family moved out there in 1960 61 thereabouts of course I hadn't been born yet for another uh, 20 years I'm sure (laughs) but we moved out to the ranch and there were always always chores to do and so on but we had a kennel of dogs we had just lots of cats we had horses cattle chickens and lots of places to ride horses well if you hung around the house at all like watching tv it meant that you weren't doing your chores so therefore sitting around the house was not advisable (laughs) so we got out as fast as we could and i loved to ride horses i think that's the only reason i had friends is they all wanted to come out and ride my horses and so i also had to keep myself busy because if i was sitting around doing nothing, my parents would say, oh, you need something to do, which is a precursor to <laughs> yeah. here's some more chores, <laughs> or do you want us to have to amuse you, which it was never a good start yeah. to any conversation. <laughs> so I would get out of the house as fast as possible. And um, if it was a nice day, I would go out with a bucket of oats and a halter or bridle, find the horse herd because they just ran loose, mm-hmm. capture a horse, whoever I wanted to ride that day, and I would ride up and back. And there, because I was writing them all by myself, I was always 
I was with the French resistance <laughs> and I was galloping to get away from the Germans or I was probably socially incorrect now, but I was running from the Indians yes. and they were, somebody was always chasing me yes. on a horse. So I could think of all kinds of reasons to make the horse gallop, always mm. away from the barn, never gallop toward the barn, but away from the barn, we would gallop through the, the mountains. If there was a down tree, I became national velvet. We were in the mm. steeplechase yeah. and we'd go over that, whatever it was. So I kept very uh, actively wow. imaginative doing that. And then if the weather was bad, we'd go out to the barn and we would create what we called hay houses. Mm -hmm. Now, a hay house is where you rearrange the bales of hay because in the winter, there'd be a couple of ton of hay in there. And these were the 50 to 75 pound bales. These are not the big round yeah. two ton bales. So, they're, they're, so they were manageable. They were, you could pick them up and move them, you know. And so we would rearrange them so that they would form uh, depressions and we'd cover the top with boards and loose hay. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't tell they were in there. Of course, my dad would fall through them all the time, which mm -hmm. meant we were very unpopular. <laughs> but the, we would think of all kinds of reasons why we were hiding out in these hay houses. <laughs> and, um, or we were tromping through the woods. So yes, the, the whole time I was, I didn't think I was imaginative at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't think mm -hmm. I was creative at all. But I was creative yeah. in yeah. the fact that, that I had to create my own world around me mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. where where was the ranch the ranch is in Cataldo okay and uh it my granddad owned Kellogg transfer in the logging oh. mill at Kingston actually right by yes. the snake pit yes. and where Paul worked I, oh, I, I did so. I worked at Kellogg transfer. <laughs> <laughs> then you uh, lord have mercy yes <laughs> so grandpa owned that and then at the time what they do is they'd buy up cheap what they call scrap timber land kind of thing. So he would buy up sections of land. And then at one point he gave my mom a section hmm. and my uncle, there were only two kids in the family. And so that's how we ended up with all that acreage. And we always talked about growing up, we're going to move to the ranch. We're going to move to the ranch. When we mm -hmm. moved to the ranch. Yeah. So when we did move to the ranch, it was full of adventures. Yeah. And I had very creative parents as and, well. And, uh, so who was in the home? Then, huh? So it was mom and dad, uh, Ned and Evelyn Stewart. Uh, dad was the director of the School of Law Enforcement at North Idaho College. Mm -hmm. And uh, mom was the Kellogg High School uh, guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. And then I had an older brother, Steve, mm -hmm. and a younger brother, Scott. And I would play with my brothers to a certain extent, certainly in the barn. They weren't big horse people, mm -hmm. but um, they, would, they would be part of it. And my dad was... He was so creative. I, can I share yeah. the, like the kind of thinking that was going on, right? So he's the director of the crime lab and the School of Law Enforcement, which meant that he would bring home cases and he'd go, okay, here is a piece of fabric or the back of carpeting from a car that's covered in blood. Now, there may have been two bodies on this or one body, what do you see in the blood pattern wow. on that? So I would draw that. I mean, so that's kind of one wow. of the weird things. And then they had such a sense of humor, which also got us through. Dad grew up in South Idaho on a ranch down there, and he put himself through college. His sport was intercollegiate rodeo. Hmm. So he uh, wanted to have cattle when we finally ended up with our ranch. 
and he wanted to brand his cattle because growing up in South Idaho, he wanted to have, you know, when the farmer, the ranchers, in Idaho, it's range laws, which means you don't fence your cattle in, you fence them out. Okay, So if you wanted to find your cattle, you'd go from ranch to ranch and say, have you seen my Lazy R cattle? Have you seen mm. my Rock and W cattle? Mm. So you call, you ask for your cattle by brand name. Mm. And Dad thought that was the coolest thing, to be able to go around and find his cows based on the brand. Mm. So he came up with a brand, and he sent it into the brand master in Idaho. And the man called back and said, uh, now, Mr. Stewart, this brand is just a single-digit brand. We haven't approved a single-digit brand in the state of Idaho for 50 years. Why, hmm. why do you want this? And Dad, oh, I've always wanted to have my own brand. And, and that particular brand is the Greek letter mu. So that I could go around and ask for my mu cows. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so we got it. Our brand was brand mu cows. <laughs> wow. And that was the kind of sense of humor that went along with everything else that, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that I grew up with. So oh that, was, that was always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> starting or currently working on a creative project but don't know what to do next? Do you need someone to talk to? Someone who will give you feedback and tools to get your creativity back on track? This is what Gromia's story is all about. Paul and Carol Willem Roberts, your creativity cultivators, will help you start, continue, or complete creative projects, big or small. Visit www.gromiastory.com to learn how Paul and Carol can help. Now, back to Dreams and Bones. So uh, you are a writer, you are an artist. Were your parents writers and artists then? Um, On the art side, my great-grandmother was an artist, and my grandmother and my great-uncle I understand my dad was an artist, but he never did anything with his mm-hmm. art. So yes, there was there was art on that side. And then both mom and dad wrote. Dad had completed almost completed a book on act, traffic accident reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it, he passed away before he could get it published. Um, my mom would write letters. She actually was the columnist for the Dog World magazine, mm-hmm. and she would write these wonderful letters that to people when they would write about buying a dog. Mm-hmm. And they were classics, plus her stories that appeared in a lot of different dog magazines and mm-hmm. so on. Now, neither of them did much with it, mm-hmm. and I didn't think I had any writing ability whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So when I started writing, it was nonfiction how-to art mm-hmm. books, because mm-hmm. how hard is it to say this is the end of the pencil you sharpen. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. it's okay. I figured, whatever, it doesn't take so much creativity. And so to write the book, what I would do is, as I would explain something, I'd listen to myself mm-hmm. and jot notes so that I would write the way I would say it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I basically wrote like the first of my books. And mm-hmm. I didn't even know anything about writing at all, mm-hmm. but ended up writing five nonfiction books. Mm-hmm prior to writing a novel. So mm. actually even more than that. But those were all how to, this is how you do it kind of thing, which I figured I could do. But I didn't think it was creative. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. think that was, you know, how you to just, stuff. This is I, how you do it. This is how you do it. You <laughs> sharpen this end of the pencil. <laughs> you sharpen the other end, it'll break your pencil sharpener. <laughs> so then how did you go from your nonfiction then saying, oh, I kind of, I think I can do this writing and, and then go into the novel writing? So I had written a book about signs and deception. How do you know when people are lying to you? Oh, mm-hmm. And it was the I wrote both a fiction or a, excuse me, a Christian version and a non-Christian version. The mm. Christian version uh, had a lot of biblical references and went through the Bible to show where the Bible would explain signs of mm. deception in classic law enforcement shape. Wow. And I did a number of programs based on that. But in order to start each chapter, I would start with a story, a real story of some event where deception was in Mm. it. And I would change the names and I would change out things because I, you know, I'm a forensic artist. Mm -hmm. So I would interview people who would lie to me and so on. Well, I had to fictionalize my stories, Mm -hmm. change them around a bit. And so I did that and I thought, well, you know, that's not too hard. Mm -hmm. I can do that. (laughs) Well, in the meantime, I had uh, some friends that um, we would exchange Christmas presents, but they were always little trinkety things. But I would spend all year looking for the perfect trinket Mm -hmm. because they were very wealthy. I couldn't buy something fancy. So I would get some little bracelet or something Mm -hmm. type of thing. Well, one year I couldn't find anything to get to my girlfriend. Nothing, just nothing. Christmas was rolling around, and I'm like, what am I going to do? So I wrote a short story, mm-hmm. which for me was phenomenal. I mean, yeah. I say short, it's about 100 pages, mm-hmm. which was unbelievably long mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. about this this fat lady <laughs> and her beautiful skinny friend. And it was like <laughs> a, a, their adventure that they went to. And I did it, you know, tongue-in-cheek and so on. And I gave her this story for Christmas. Well, she started reading it at night when she'd go to bed, and she'd be reading it and laughing. Mm. And her husband said, well, what is so funny? And she'd go, oh, this is just so funny. And she'd <laughs> read whatever it was I'd written. Well, after a bit, uh, her husband called up and said, can I come over to the ranch? I said, sure. And he said, you know, he said, I think you have some writing ability, and I would like to teach you how to write. Actually, his actual words were, I want to teach you how to fish. And his name was Frank Peretti. Yeah. So, you know, the dean of Christian fiction. And yeah. so for the next eight years, wow. he mentored me in how mm-hmm. to write fiction. Because mm-hmm. it's not enough to just have a story. Mm-hmm. The story is only the start. Mm-hmm. It's getting it down on paper and the words you choose and the way you laid out your plotting. There's... There's so much to learn in the craft, mm-hmm. and that's what I had to learn, was mm-hmm. the craft of writing, mm-hmm. and he worked with me. So I went from fine art, which I'd already done, forensic art, which I'd been doing because of the background in law enforcement, and then nonfiction writing, and then fiction writing. So mm-hmm. that all went. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to ask about the next one, which is the theater. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so I have a singing voice that is so phenomenal. That I've actually made coyotes howl in the middle of the day. <laughs> and I got a D in chorus, which actually got my dad to write on my report card, she must have her mother's voice. <laughs> so I could, I did actually perform and sing in one 
theater production. You might ask Joy Pursoon about that <laughs> someday <laughs> because we, we never could hit the right notes. Um, we, we were so bad that the entire, there were 20 people on the stage when we would come out to sing our solo, or, or, or there were three of us. And everybody on stage, if you watch them, as soon as we came out, they all did something to turn away. <laughs> So that when they lost it, when we would hit the bad notes, they wouldn't be trying to not laugh. So the entire stage would turn away. Well, the only three times we ever hit the notes correctly were the three performances. Well, there you go. So we did it three times. Close enough for government work kind of thing. But I had uh, done pantomime in in high school, Deidre Deck, um, that kind of competition. So I did compete in pantomime. I didn't think I could speak, but I could act. Mm -hmm. And then in college, I was cast in uh, The Fantastics Mm -hmm. as the mute because I couldn't (laughs) sing. (laughs) So I did, when I came back from college and came back to the Silver Valley, they were casting Glass Menagerie. Mm -hmm. And I tried out for the role of Laura, the the lead character, and got that casting and then was in a number of productions with Valley Community Theater for a number of years. And then, of course, I did it with you guys because you (laughs) you picked the one play I absolutely adore. (laughs) But um, I acted in a number of plays, uh, some original ones, 1706 Front, The one that I co-authored, which I can't even think of the name of right now, One Last Chance, mm-hmm. Glass Menagerie, I mentioned. I then directed The Fantastics, and I directed Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. which I absolutely adore mm-hmm. as a play. And then really got away from theater until Carol said, hey, you know, we're doing I Do, I Do. And I was like, no. <laughs> oh, they're doing my play. Because yeah. <laughs> I've always loved that play. Oh, I just such it was, a good show. And every time I hear oh, the God. theme song of yeah. My Cup Run It Over, I, you know, every night you guys would perform, I would sob my way through that. I'm doing lights. <laughs> and I'm crying so hard I can't even see the lights because I'm, you know, I just was, oh, oh I yeah. love that. So that got me into theater a bit, mm-hmm. not much. Mm-hmm. Speaking is theater. You know, mm-hmm. so yes. I'm a professional speaker. So, right. yeah. you know, and speaking is like teaching. So mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. So yeah. it all connects, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, on some, some level. Mm-hmm. There it is, folks. Part one of our four-part interview with Carrie Stewart Parks. Carol, tell us what stood out for you today. Well, I liked when she talked about she'd go out riding horses on their ranch and how that really invoked a lot of imagination and creativity in her as she was out there, most of the time um, by herself, just kind of creating um, different things in her in her imagination. Yeah, quite the childhood. I, I, one of my favorite memories uh, is uh, our time with her when she was directing us in I Do, I Do. Well, as we bring this episode to a close, we'd like to thank our Sacred Community Garden members for their support and remind all of our listeners that as a subscriber, you can soon gain access to bonus material from all of our Dreams and Bones interviews. If you have found us and you're not a member but want to know more about Dreams and Bones, go to www.growmeastory.com where you can find out more about practicing the art of creative living with your hosts, Paul and Carol Willem-Roberts. 
Join us next Friday for part two of our interview with Carrie Stewart Parks on your Dreams and Bones podcast.